City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the episode of Inside the Hive. All-Star break is behind us. And unlike for most weeks, Chase is not joining us for the start of this episode. Chase is in a snowstorm, typical being in Maine, which means he's missing the first part of today's podcast. But he will be back for the second part. We're going to talk some general NBA. But joining me to open the podcast is Hornets superfan. We're going to go with that. Uh, Jameet Kalra. Um, who is a season ticket holder with the Charlotte Hornets and a, a very recognizable fan at Hornets games. And many of you will know his face or know the name. So, Jameet, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thank you, James. Thank you for having me on and uh, welcome to everybody. It's nice to be here talking to everybody. Uh, hopefully I can share some Hornets insight with uh, all, the, all the audience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for people who don't know, uh, could you get, tell people a little bit kind of like where, you know, a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, you know, how did you end up in Charlotte? Uh, how you became a fan? Just kind of give us your your brief journey to, to this moment in time in a Hornets fandom. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I, I grew up in New York. I lived there pretty much all my life until we moved on to Charlotte. Uh, like most kids in the 90s, uh, loved Michael Jordan, wanted to be like Michael Jordan, wanted to go to the NBA and play in the NBA. Uh, learned very soon that that is probably not a good dream of mine to have as an adult. So I kind of just stuck to being a fan and watching as much basketball as I could. Uh, like living in Manhattan, went to a lot of Knicks games. I saw a lot of Bobcats games at MSG. I was actually at the game where Carmelo set the MSG records going 62 wow. uh, in 2014. Yeah. Uh, we, we had got into the game, like I think midway in the first quarter, and he's like 20 points in. I'm like, wow, this is going to be a, a great game to watch. So unbeknownst to me, while living in New York, I was always – kind of a Bobcats fan before I even came to Charlotte. And then uh, around 2015, my wife and I were looking for some place to move. And one of the things uh, we both wanted is a city that has uh, a basketball team that's walkable from where we live, kind of similar like we had in New York. And so Charlotte kind of checked off all the buckets of uh, jobs, sports atmosphere that we were kind of looking for in a new city. So we had uh, we moved down here in June 2015 and the, uh, the first week we had been here, the Hornets were having a draft party for the uh, Kaminsky draft that year. And so we kind of went to the arena, kind of watched the draft at the venue. And they were like, hey, like, do you want to like, look at tickets? you want to like, buy some tickets? We're like, yeah, you know, we'll see how much pricing is, look at how much they are since we love going to basketball games. 
and just uh, kind of the affordability of how much tickets were compared to New York really drew us yeah. in. And then eight years later, you know, I'm going as many games as I can. Uh, we're trying to see them on the road as many games as we can. And we do have a goal to try to see them in every uh, arena in North America that they play in. And we're about halfway through our goal right now. So hopefully in the next three to four years, we will kind of hit that goal. But so far, it's been fun. And to me, going to the games is kind of one of the best things about living in Charlotte. Uh, we've met so many friends that we have down here just going to games, seeing them around town, stuff like that. So it's been a lot of fun. I have so many questions about everything you said there. Firstly, let's go back to the start. Mellow 62 in MSG. Yeah. What was the arena like in that fourth quarter? I mean, is that like the loudest any arena has been that you've been in? Is, is that like your best NBA moment? Yeah, uh, it's definitely top five. I, I don't really have like a list, but I'd definitely be up there just thinking about it. like the arena was electric. Every time you had the ball, everyone's just on their feet, standing, cheering. Uh, I think the Bobcats lost that game, I think by 20-something, but just the Sounds crowd right. itself on MSG was electric. There's few arenas in the world that probably like MSG, just the environment at every game there. So it's hard to beat that for sure. I visit. I did a, an arena tour, the classic touristy thing, right, right when I visited New York, um, and it, it was a, it was a fantastic tour. I had a great time. Um, you moved to Charlotte in 2015. I, I was thinking. I was thinking, you could be moving to any city with an NBA team. And you pick. You pick Charlotte. And I was thinking about 2015. Things were kind of looking a little bit positive, right? They, they weren't. They were a better team around then. Um, you know, they'd been to the playoffs somewhat recently. Um, I, I guess the, it wasn't clear that they were going to be struggling as much at that time. I guess you probably had quite a bit of hope that they could be a, a consecutive playoff team in 2015. Correct. Yeah, of course. I remember, uh, I don't think they made it in 2015, but uh, 2016, they made the playoffs, I believe, was the Miami series that went to seven. Like, yeah. I still remember that playoff series like it was yesterday. Like, that was probably my most enjoyable moments here as a Hornets fan was going to that series I uh, really felt they should have closed it out in game six, but I uh, was not to be. And then game seven did not go their way as well. But uh, just seeing the potential that Charlotte had at that time, I, I really thought that was going to be a great basketball city to be in as well. And I'm hopeful that, you know, hopefully next year and the year after that, we can hit those points again and even break the, break those points again. And you talk about going to the games being like the best thing. I how much obviously like the hornets winning a game right yeah. i'm sure it makes it more enjoyable but can you can still have a good night you still go out and enjoy yourself even if the hornets don't care just with the gut you know the people who sit around the environment of the team getting to see probably some of the other some of the other great players like what is it that keeps you coming back even when things are are looking challenging because i've seen a lot of people online yeah. this year saying i'm not you know i'm not redoing my season tickets for next year this this year seems to kind of turn some long-standing fans away what is it that keeps you coming back do you think yeah i was actually at lunch earlier with some people who have tickets and they themselves also said they're not going to renew next year mm. uh, I, I think for me like i just i i enjoy basketball the sport i enjoy going to games watching them uh i know that we're not going to win every game uh hopefully this year we will lose some more games and win down the road but i i think the future is very like going into this year uh the potential is there uh, obviously, the offseason was not the greatest, and it's kind of led to this year's how it's been so far. But 
hopefully the potential is there down the road to build a brand and a winning team and winning culture. And I think that's the key is to create a long-term successful roadmap. And the pieces are there right now. And just got, I, I'm hopeful that the team, the organization can continue to put those pieces in place, even though sometimes it seems like the pieces aren't there or kind of going left and right every day. But I have faith that next year could be better and down the road could be better. That's kind of what keeps me going to games. Well, that's great. And I think we, we still have faith in this podcast. It's like I say, <laughs> this year has been, this year has been challenging. Uh, yeah, but for sure. There is, you know, turnarounds that happen so quickly. I mean, look at when Steve Clifford was first here, right? He he, yeah. he took the team, team essentially to the to playoff contention within a year. Um, like you said, a lot of things conspired this year. But we see this in the NBA. Teams turn things around pretty quickly. The the Knicks last year were at the playoffs. This year they're in. Yeah, they added Jaden Brunson. But the Wizards last year, they were going nowhere. And now they could be like maybe a seventh or eighth seed, which maybe isn't great, but they're, yeah. but they're competitive. So there is... There is a path on the way back. Um, I think the Thunder are a great uh, example too. They've kind of turned yeah. it around and everyone thought they'd be tanking this year and then they're fine for the playoffs right now. So, Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in terms of this year specifically, how has the experience been versus past years? Um, obviously, probably less close games. Also, I, I feel like there was a really heavy road schedule in the first half of the season. Um, and I know they play like a lot of home games coming up here, but yeah, just talk a little bit about in the arena, what's the experience been like this year? Cause I remember last season, I remember tweeting out that just watching the games on TV, it was the loudest early last season. I can recall on record, like just seeing the crowd into the games. And obviously this year I feel that has dropped off, but what has been, what has been like in the arena? Yeah, I would agree with your assessment last year. It was definitely a lot louder and, cheerful for the Hornets fandom, at least. Uh, this year, I remember one game in particular when we played the Celtics, I think, on a MLK Day in mid-January. The lower level is pretty much just a sea of green. And obviously some games like Boston, New York, LA, Golden State, when they come to town, it'll be hard to get more Hornets fans in the arena versus the opposing team. I think just this year, it's really been a lot more opposing team fans versus Hornets fans right now for these big marquee games. And it, I think it's tough as a, for the team itself to play in kind of environment like that. Uh, I did, I remember like uh, I, I do better basketball a lot and the Hornets have, I think prior to this kind of run in February, they lost, I think 18 out of like 24 first quarters to, at home to open the season. And I, I think just kind of the energy in the, in the arena, the fans coming to games really puts the team in a deficit already starting the game. And it's kind of shown on paper when they are losing these first quarters at home. And, you know, you should be winning these games at home when they lose again. Obviously, it's not been happening this year so far. So for those games that, and I remember that Celtics game, right? I, I remember you were watching it and it felt like a Celtics home game when the Celtics made a shot. Do you think that is a season ticket? Like, how are all those Celtic fans getting tickets? Is it just that they're available in the lower bowl to buy on general sale? Or is it people, like, giving their tickets to Celtics fans? Or is it just a real mix mash of everything? I think it's a probably combination. There are tickets for sale, A, and then B, there are, like, uh, a lot of corporate tickets in the lower bowl that is just 
businesses have them and they're not really Hornets fans or just whoever is at work, giving them clients, whoever that may be. And then three, there are a lot of people who do sell tickets. Like I occasionally sell tickets when we can't go to the game. Uh, so it's, it's just tough on all three parts to kind of get a good mix of Hornets fans at every game. So it's, it's really a tough situation that the team's in right now to really get that energy into the games themselves and get the fans to show up, especially when the product on the court has not been as people would expect to see as well. Yeah. And I, I know crown club, um, who are kind of a fan organization there. Yeah. I know they've expressed frustration at how other team styles seem to be marketed by the Hornets tickets department. Uh, you know, come buy tickets and watch Giannis. It's like, well, like this is a, a strange message to send when you're trying to, you know, establish a fan base or say trying to establish like they're a new team. Like when, when you're trying to engage your fan base, I should say, which I, again, I, I, I see both sides, right? I see if I'm yeah. working in tickets and my job is to sell tickets, I know that's what I'm probably going to do rather than putting up a poster of, I don't know, I'm not going to say a Hornets player. It's not fair, but of, <laughs> of them in the middle of a losing season, but I also get it that how are you ever going to build a, a hardcore fan base when you're prepping the other teams? I, I don't know what the the answer for that is. Get better, make make the team on the court better, so you don't have to lean into opposing players. And um, yeah, agree. As they always say, winning cures everything. If the Hornets are winning, like as you mentioned last year, it was the loudest games I'd been to in quite some time. If they're winning games, you know, I think there'd be a lot more fans at games. There'd be a lot more people cheering and standing in the fourth quarter. Uh, without the the wins and the product on the court, it's I, as we said, I get what the team has to do with the sell tickets, like their job and the sales offices to fill up the seats, you know, rather be, I'm sure they'd prefer it to be Hornets fans, but if it's road team fans or just casual fans of the NBA, you know, to them, it's the same thing. But I, I think it is important to, in a city like Charlotte, like most people aren't from Charlotte. I've met some people who are lifelong fans, like you mentioned Crown Club, they've been here since the team was here in the early 90s, late 80s. A lot of people come here are not necessarily hardcore basketball fans or or maybe they are of other teams. So I think if they can just get them two games and show them how much fun it is going to games, that kind of could down the road build a culture where people want to sell tickets, want to go to games, and really create an environment that we can all be happy with if they are winning at the same time. Because the thing that confuses me, and like North Carolina is a basketball state, You've got Duke, you've got UNC, you've got very well-educated, you know, family, strong family tradition of basketball following. It like it just feels that, like you say, a lot of the people aren't necessarily basketball fans who come to the games, but there seems to be a basketball, people who've got a vested interest in basketball in the state. But do you think they, for whatever reason, have struggled to get through to a lot of those like Duke, UNC, NC State, some of Davidson, like all, all those fans? Yeah, yes and no. I have noticed that like sometimes like when they have like uh I know Sacramento is big, they'd have like a lot of Kentucky players in Sacramento, so they have like Kentucky fan clubs come and go to the games when they had like marquee players from colleges on the road teams or the home teams. So I don't think they've necessarily struggled to get those fans. I just think it comes down to winning. Like if, if the Hornets were winning every single year, fighting for the playoffs every single year and being competitive it wouldn't be a struggle to get fans to the games. You know, everyone enjoys basketball in North Carolina, as you mentioned, 
People love college basketball. Let's say basketball state, basketball city. It's just there is the, – the winning will cure it all. Is what yeah. I could come back to. And you, you mentioned there about the, your, your big bet in basketball. What is your either your hottest streak of basketball bets or your single best basketball bet that you can recall from, from the last few years? doesn't have to be Hornets related. I'll, yeah. I'll let you get more creative here. Uh, I, to be honest, I really only bet on Hornets games and basketball. Like I, I do a lot more okay. betting on the uh, NFL side. But basketball, for me, uh, I focus mainly just the Hornets. Like I, I feel like kind of watching all the games and – kind of reading the analysis, look at the data, really gives me kind of a leg up on understanding like the the first quarter streak I'd mentioned to you. No one really yeah. kind of tracks that kind of stuff. So that really benefited me a lot, kind of just betting the first quarter on them at home. Interesting. So now I normally see there's two types of people who bet Hornets basketball if they support the team, which is one, they bet on the other team to try and create this like imagine the world where like well even if we lose i'm happy because i won money or then you've got the other side of uh like oh i overrate our team and kind of i always think we're going to do better than we do and i end up betting on our team and i end up losing especially this year where would where would you say you fall on that kind of two ends of the argument i think my friends would describe me on the second part where i overrate the team and i kind of bet them in games they're probably not going to do well and they're probably not going to win and I expect to win every game. Uh, as a fan, it's kind of hard not to be like that. Uh, I'd say I'm more in the middle where I understand that uh, some games, some matchups we have an advantage in and kind of watching the games and the team, you can exploit that advantage, knowing how the team kind of plays for certain teams and has certain trends. But there are some times where I'm like, well, they're playing and we're going to win this game because, you know, I'm going to the game and I'm wearing blue that day. Whereas <laughs> yeah. some kind of like, random fan luck what's like we're gonna win because of that and you bet and say like, well they didn't win the game what happened to my lucky streak there yeah no i i think like if you can find that middle ground i think that's good and like you say that 18 out of 24 streak um or run that was a a very good catch there so well done yeah um what like you you've obviously been to a lot of games since 2015 um, what would you say are the biggest issues the team needs to address? You know, you talked about how you've been following basketball for a long time and and you watch the game really closely and, and dig into some of the real details around analysis. You, you probably see the team as often as any of our listeners, as any of our yeah. fans, up close and personal. What does the biggest team need going forward? What do they need to address? Because for a long time, it was a center. Like, that's what everyone said. They just, they just need a center. Whereas this year, you'd probably argue center play has been the team's strength. So, yeah, what do you think? First of all, Mason Plumlee played phenomenal for us this year. You know, I'm, I'm Absolutely. glad he got the chance to go to competitor, play well in L.A., all the best to him. Uh, but I I think identity is the one thing that the Hornets kind of are lacking. You know, I think last year everyone said defense, we got to get stops. Like, look, the playing game didn't do anything last two playing games. They had no defense. So I think that thing was let's bring Clifford, a defensive-minded coach, really harp on that side of the ball and the offense will be there. And then it seems like this year that the defense was there, but then kind of the offense stagnated. So is there a balance of playing defense and the offense going, really keep the momentum and the tempo in the game? So I think they need to find a identity that works for them. Uh, even like the last couple of games in February, prior to the break, it seems like they kind of sped up the ball a bit, 
really let the offense run a bit more, kind of quicken the pace a bit, and it's been working for them. But at the same point, like come March, April, playoff basketball time, uh, you really need the defense to step it up and win those games. So I, I think just an identity of being able to understand that they need to win on both sides of the ball is kind of what's been missing. Like last couple of years, it's been like one side ball, the other, not really a combination game of offense and defense. Yeah, and Steve Clifford's talked about that time and time again. You've got to be balanced. You've got to be balanced players. Everything he said. And they have been balanced this year because they've been bad on both, right? So Yeah, no, um, I mean, it's uh, every it's day been, is a different game. What team are going to get? The offensive game or the defensive game each day? And abs- that's been the infuriating thing. You, The team rebound the ball well one night, but they put the other team at the foul line. Then yeah. the next night, they turn the ball over 18 times, but they you know, but they don't foul anyone. And then the next night they shoot 18% from three on 35 attempts. And that's like, and part of that is because of the lineups, but there has just been even more than like normal, a, you can't point to one reason the Charlotte Hornets have struggled this year because the the reason does change every night. And I think you've seen at times that's come through in Clippers post games, the frustration from him because they're not doing some of the the things that they've been talking about since day one of training camp when you heard him talk about we need to get back and transition, which was a real issue for the first half of the year. Um, yeah, so I yeah I completely agree. Um, and it's like you say, it's the a lottery of what you're going to get this year and what's going to let the Hornets down tonight. Yeah, and I think Clifford, you know, he came in in a tough position with all Kenny Atkins and stuff. He clearly was not the Hornets' first choice for the coach, but I think he came in to a tough job and he's doing all he can for the team and doing what he thinks needs to be done to make it work. And as you're saying, some nights it's looking great. Uh, some nights it's all discon- disjointed and every night's a different issue that we're seeing as fans on the court. Uh, you know, let's, I don't want to hope that we lose games from here on out, but let's hope that they at least are competitive every night and yeah. give us something joy and keep it close. And like every game I go to, I'm always like, I want them to be competitive in the game. And if the game obviously does not work out in a favor at the end, that's not the worst outcome. But it's good yeah. to see improvements, see these young guys play and do well and, you know, be able to compete at this level. So You're right. It's, it's finding that impossible balance where if they just lost every game for the rest of the year by 25 points, right. some people who probably don't watch, don't actually watch the games would be like, that's the best thing for the Charlotte Hornets. No, it's not. Like you know, that sends that means that your players who you're relying to you're trying to add your first round pick to next year are nowhere near good as you thought. If you're losing every game by 20 points, it's it's by no means that simple. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Again, you've seen since 2015, you've seen Prime Kemba, um, you've seen Lamella Ball. Um, who would you say? is the best player to play for the Hornets since you've been following the team. Just pound for pound, not will be the best one day, the, the best player to play for the Charlotte Hornets right now. Because I think I think this is probably a bit of a... You get a split answer, I think, with most fans. So it'd be good to get your thoughts. Yeah, it, it, that, that's a good question. Uh, I, I think it's talent-wise, it, it's hard to not say LaMelo is the better player for the Hornets than Kemba. I think uh, with the town also... You need to have some success and proven experience on the court. 
which I think he's still kind of getting to that point. So I'd, I'd say Kemba on the kind of experience and intangibles is better at. Uh, LaMelo, is he better at talent overall, though? Uh, if I had to choose one at this moment, though, kind of balancing both out, uh, I, I would lean to LaMelo just because I think every game he's doing something that is just like, okay, like th- this is out of like a video game character. He's doing some crazy play of the triples, doubles. He's having almost seems like at least once a week, a triple double, uh, like watching Kemba was phenomenal when he was here. Uh, it's just, I think a different kind of vibe and experience watching LaMelo this time around. Wow. I was not, I was not expecting that. Um, I was thinking you were going to say Kemba Walker. Um, I I think I would give the edge to Kemba at this moment. Um, the reason, I mean, he made third team NBA on a team that won 39 games. Now, I know you can say, well, the Hornets won whatever it was, 43 games, 44 games last year. Yeah, um, 44, yeah. Yeah. But, like, uh, Kemba made, he was literally one of the six best guards or the fifth of the sixth best guard in the NBA. And for me, Lamelo Ball... And he was an all-star that year, by the way. Lamella Ball has made the all-star game once, partly down to injuries, I think. I mean, yeah. all these records Lamella's breaking, imagine how many more he'd be breaking and by how much more if he'd actually been healthy, like this year yeah. and also in his rookie year. And he's still breaking all these records, being the youngest player to do X and Y and Z. So uh, it's not even like he's been available. But yeah, I think I'd edge Kemba just in, in the standings of the league. And you could argue maybe now that the league is deeper and more talented. So like that Kemba season would never make third team all NBA now. And I, I think that's probably a fair argument, but I agree. I think, uh, you know, Kemba really, really led that team with the, the leadership aspect yeah. as well. Not saying Lamelo can't do it or doesn't try, but just he is 20 years old. And Kemba at the time was in the middle of his prime and had been in Charlotte for five, six, seven plus years at that point. So I would lean Kemba, but um, yeah, it's in- it's interesting that you say Lamelo Ball... I'm curious. I want to just go back to something quickly. You talked about Steve Clifford in your previous answer. I've been to a lot of, probably not to as many live basketball games uh, for obvious reasons, but I've been to a lot of live sports games. And the classic one for any fan attending live sports is pointing out the areas of the coach. And and like, I don't know why at some point a fan seemed to blame players. And then at some point it seems to shift to the coach. Like the people you sit around, the people you yeah. speak to, where where do you think the frustration is like directed at the games? Where do they let out that, oh, why is that happening? Is it is it player directed or generally at Steve Clifford? Uh, hard to say. I mean, at the end of the day, like Clifford will, can only play the players he has available to play. Like we've had a lot of injuries, a lot of things off the court that affect the team this year. So it, he can only play the players that he has on the bench to play at the game. Uh, sometimes he's making the right play calls and playing the right players, and sometimes he's not. And sometimes, like, the players just don't even listen to what he wants them to do. So I think it kind of shifts around between both. And there's obviously responsibility for the players and the coaches to be accountable for what's going on on the court. So I I, I don't like to say it's one fault or the other per se, but I think there's different times it's different people's responsibility. That's a great politician answer. You should, you should, go, <laughs> you should go into politics with, with stuff like that. <laughs> no, but I, I think that, that's fair. That's fair if that's your experience. Um, okay, let's, let's change lane a little bit. You talked before about you're trying to go to every NBA arena. 
Um, you said you're about halfway through. Um, of the ones you've done so far, what is the favorite city for you to travel to go and watch the Hornets? San Francisco, by far, had the. I, I know it's the newest arena in the league, but their the Chase arena Center was, is that right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think it's three years old. Was probably just the the best like in game experience we've had at any arena. Uh, it's all like state of the art uh, technology facilities. The club level was beautiful in there. Like everything was just. You can tell that they really invested in the arena and creating a not just an experience for hardcore basketball fans, but also the kind of casual, like you're there for a night out type of fan. And I think that's important to understand that not everybody going to a game is going just to watch basketball. Some people going to hang out, you know, be there, just have a good time with the game. So it's important to kind of draw in both types of fans. So definitely San Francisco has been the number one. I think it will be hard-pressed for us to go to an arena that will top that. So I've kind of technically been to the Chase Center because I visited San Francisco this summer on my on my trip. Where right. I, my How was the uh, rest of your trip after Las Vegas? It, yes. For those who don't know, me and Jimmy met in Las Vegas at NBA Summer League, um, which is the first time I think we'd met in person, but we, yes. we connected sometimes before. Uh, we had a fantastic time, honestly, a trip of a lifetime. So we had a great time and we visited the Chase Center. We didn't go inside, but we visited the outside. And even that was like just little things. Okay, so as a... I've turned up to San Francisco. There's nothing on at the Chase Center, but there are, there's like neon signs outside that are like great for pictures. Yes. There's like a Draymond Green mural, like kind of painted on the wall where you can like pose as if you're dunking on Draymond Green or he's blocking your shot. Like, and I remember when I visited Charlotte, I walked around the whole stadium and I, there was not a spot where you like take a photo to be like, I've gone to Spectrum Center. I've, you know, I've, it was like you were, trying to take a photo with the big like digital board when it flashed up onto something right. Um, and, and obviously I know it's older, but just like little things like that. And San Francisco is more of a tourist spot, but just that's even a little something. I've got some great pictures from visiting the Warriors arena. I didn't even get to go inside. I'm like, like you, you that was your experience. Yeah. And, and that's something that I think Charlotte could look to try and add just, just little things like that outside the stadium. I mean, you, you talked about, you know, been great for some of the, the kind of casual fans. Like, what are some of the things there, like, that you see them doing that you maybe think the Hornets could look to try and implement going forward to make it a better fan experience? And, yeah, so and things you've seen maybe at other stadiums too. I think one thing, first of all, like, I'm sure it's a lot of games, like, kind of like the third, fourth quarter, they kind of give out those thunder sticks to kind of bang when the opposing team shooting free throws. Like, a lot of teams kind of do stuff like that where we're trying to get the crowd into the game, kind of set after the other team, make them miss a couple shots. I think that's one thing that the Hornets are kind of lacking, just the in-game experience. Like there's minimal music compared to like other arenas are playing kind of music throughout the game, throughout timeouts, really trying to get the crowd engaged while they're watching the game to be excited out of their seats and cheer during the game. So I think that's one thing that the Hornets kind of need to look at is what are we doing differently than other teams that where people kind of just sit and casually watch a game versus being up and active and really cheering on our team to win. And uh, what you mentioned earlier about San Francisco, I actually did not get to see this dream on mural outside. So if I go back, I definitely have to go look for that. But I do remember the kind of art installations that they had in the front. And we had so much fun kind of just walk. I think there was like a, they had like one of those water, like 
fountains that shoot up off the street level too. That was yeah. really cool. It was just a great uh, walkable experience, as you mentioned, uh, at least for Charlotte. I do know that there is talks about uh, if you, I don't know if you remember where, like, kind of where the bus station is here, like a block and a break from the arena, converting that into like a above ground practice facility. So they move like the practice court there and kind of add like a shopping and kind of a walkable experience as we're talking about into Charlotte for that. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen, but there was like talk in the city that they yeah, want to do awesome. that and kind of create that atmosphere there. Yeah, I remember the, I think the city agreed to put funding forward towards it. And yeah. it was one of those kind of, now we'll wait and see when, if it happens. But yeah, every, from everything we've heard, that, that should hopefully happen. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. You talked before about that, maybe needing some more. This might have been off air. We were talking actually about how the, the Hornets don't seem to do as many bobble nights anymore. Don't do the thunder sticks, maybe some more music. Uh, and it, yeah, maybe it just seems again that they could try and do some little extra things. You know, this getting a like when you're a kid, if someone gives you some thunder sticks, it's the best night of your life. Yeah. It's just, I've got thunder sticks, I've got a bobblehead. This is amazing. And when the team is struggling as much as they can, you can argue that, well, it's a bit sad to hand out thunder sticks when you're down 20 points. But like kids don't care. Kid, no, and course, they're the ones yeah. you need to convert, right? You, they're the kids you you need to convert to be your fans long-term. It's not the people who've already decided that the Hornets suck and they're not going to be a fan and they're 50 years old. Like that's that's You're not going to convert someone at that point. You've got to target that younger audience and try and get them engaged early. Correct. Then I'd argue that maybe we're okay. down um, 20 points if we had those people into the game. Yeah. I, I mean, this is, a, again, another thing I think you can probably speak to. Which, which arenas do you feel... Uh, the home crowd plays the biggest role uh, when you've been there, the Hornets are playing them and the yeah. other crowds getting into it, like which arenas impacts, but also like how much of an impact can that have on a game? Cause I don't, never feel that that comes across as strongly yeah. on TV as it does when you're in there in person with the noise, the atmosphere. So I would say this Atlanta actually does a really great job within the arena to really get people going for the Hawks. Like they have a section up top, which is just like all a whole fan section. And they're all like kind of a unison doing chants on the court to the other players and trying to get in their heads. And like, we've been to games where like they're the fan sections chanting things at the Hornets players. You can tell like they're reacting and they like, they can hear the chants. You can see it on their faces. So to me, that's what it should be. Like the fans are doing their job to create a, create a hard atmosphere for the other team to win in. And that should be, I think, a job as a fan is like, you know, we, we need to help our team win this game and to kind of give them that home edge if we can. Yeah, and I, I know that's something very much echoed by Hector, Sombrero Man, for people yeah. who, you know, he's he said before he feels like he's the only one out there shouting and he growls at people shooting free throws. And I remember a few years ago when Gerald Henderson and Corey Maggetti were on the team. So this is before you were in Charlotte. Yeah. They they wanted to have the cat crazies to kind of like copy the Duke crazies and but like a bobcat section. And they tried it for a year and then I think they had the worst record in the NBA that year and it disappeared. <laughs> it disappeared quite quickly. Um but but yeah, I, I know they now have a fan section in a higher area because I know do, where yes. some of the Crown Club members are based, but I've also heard some feedback that they they could enable that section to get a little bit better. They could, you know, help support that section to really get into the games better. So 
hopefully they take some of the feedback that I know they've got from some of the fans and they continue to improve that. Yeah, 100%. I, I think, you know, that's kind of the edge that the Hornets might need in future years is kind of having those fans there that really get into the game, that they're there to support, they're there to cheer them on, and whatever they can do to help the Hornets win is what they need to do. Yeah. Okay, um, we're gonna we're gonna finish on some quick fire questions here to end. I'm gonna have six questions, okay. and I just want one word or one line answers from you, uh, just on the spot. I don't need a, your your whole spiel here, and I'm gonna make okay. you pick. Um, so you ready here? Let's do it. Okay, who is your favorite ever Charlotte Hornet? Terry Rozier. Who is your least favorite Charlotte Hornet? Frank Kaminsky. Matt Bingo. Uh, what is the name of the Boston University mascot? Terrier. What's his name, though? Rhett. Yeah, well done. Okay. that's that, I've done my research here. Okay, okay very nice. Yeah. Don't know. <laughs> um, best game snack when watching the Hornets? In the game or at home? Oh, both. Uh, popcorn in game, at home. Uh Probably like, uh, do you know what samosas are for Indian food? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Samosas at home, definitely. Lovely. Uh, best place for food in Charlotte? Good question. Uh, for pizza, I'm, I'm big into pizza. So Sal's Pizza Factory, uh, it's kind of new, but the, it's like uh, the, the creator is from New Jersey. So it's very New York style pizza, which, you know, always is it's my home. favorite thing. Very good. And then finally, where will Charlotte end up picking in the NBA draft lottery? Obviously, we all hope for one, but with the luck they've had in the past, uh, I'll, I'll I'll go for I'll say two. You know, I'd be not unhappy with two, but obviously, everyone wants number one. You got to be happy with two, right? If, yeah. it, I think even if they, I think they have better odds. I've not looked at it recently. I think they have better odds to move down than they are just to even stay in the top four. Um, yeah. That's assuming they finish fourth here. So. Um, Okay, well, Jimmy, that is that is everything for me. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, enjoy the remaining Bob Hornets games. I've almost called the Bobcats games then. My God. Um, it feels like a Bobcat season, yeah. how it's gone. Um, enjoy the rest of the Hornets season. Uh, you've got a few home games coming up here, and we will make sure we keep in touch, and we'll have to have you back on, maybe in happier times. Maybe when yeah. we can talk, you can tell us about the playoff atmosphere. Uh, in that a few would, years that would be, that would be, be great fun, wouldn't it man. that would be great to get there and then thank you so much for having me on i know we have the uh cody zeller return game on saturday since he Big just signed miami so that should be is, good is he but, getting a tribute video cody zeller tribute i think he might they should if they honestly should have thought about that and you know hopefully someone sees this and thinks about it in the next two yes. years hornets digital department we want a cody zeller Welcome home video. Okay, Jamie, thanks a lot for coming on. Um, everyone say hello to Jamie Games if you see him, and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you, James. Bye. NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hands with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and the existing customers get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt-in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game. And if it doesn't hit, you'll get your bonus bet back. So 
One bet I'm looking out for is the Hornets against the Suns. Kevin Durant's first game back. Everyone's going to juice the Suns. Everyone's going to juice Kevin Durant overs. I'm going for Kevin Durant unders. I also think the Hornets might cover that game. It'll be the first time with Phoenix playing with a lot of the new team. Uh, first time with Kevin Durant. He'll probably be on a minutes limit. He'll be a bit rusty. So I'm pairing Kevin Durant with Hornets unders for my same game parlay. So, to bet, download the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes for details. Welcome back. Jameet is gone, but Chase is here joining me for the second half of the podcast. Chase, you you had to get called away for work late notice, but we've been able to, to circle back here uh, 24 hours later after I've spoken to Jameet. And we're going to touch on some some greens for Swarm and some general NBA stuff. So uh, thanks for thanks for coming back to me. Thank you to Jameet for joining us and taking my place here for the first half of the podcast. I hope the listeners enjoyed that interview. Uh, apparently, nobody plans for snow in Maine, uh, even though it snows six months out of the year. So I had to had to step away for that for that about in an emergency situation. But we are back. We're ready to finish out this podcast here now. Yeah, and let's let's start. I mean, one of the benefits of us being put back a day was we got to watch the Greens just won last night, who took on your very own main Celtics. Um, and I mean, let's take advantage of the 24-hour delay and let's talk some some sworn Celtics. So, I mean, you obviously watched the full game. I watched the first half uh, because then the Hornets Timberwolves game started, which I wanted to watch. The streaking red hot Charlotte Hornets. Um, yeah, we, we we don't have to spend too long with this, but where do you want to touch on first for Greens for Swarm? Like, it's probably you watch them pretty in depth. You watch them against the team that you watch pretty much every game of main Celtics you work for. What stood out to you? Well, James Booknight had a very good game. He had led the Greensboro Swarm with 24 points last night. I uh, was, apart from the first quarter, I would say he was probably their best offensive player in the, for the last three quarters, pretty much was the only reason that they were able to hang around and pose somewhat of a threat there in the in the second half. The Celtics were up by double digits for pretty much the whole uh, final 24 minutes there, but Book Knight was, kept them hanging around a little bit. Uh, Jalen Crutcher had a pretty good game too. Uh, I think Kai Jones was 7 for 7 from the field, uh, which is definitely good from somebody that you were know is going to be getting uh, limited shots when they go to the NBA and is not going to be able to play through the misses as much as, as others. So, I mean, I, I would say it was a, obviously it was a loss uh, for Greensboro, but I think for Hornets fans, you could, you could pull some uh, encouraging stuff from that performance. Just so positive. I love it, Chase. I mean, I, 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 try. I, wanna, I try. All I want to talk about is the horrendous transition defense that the Swarm played all game. I mean, uh, just the summer defensive effort and execution was was terrible. And I, and I guess you look at the team, there's just no real plus defenders. Like, there's no guy who you would describe on the Green Swarm starting five. Jalen Crutcher, Buck Knight, Kai Jones, Xavier Sneed, Bryce McGowan's. None of those would you describe as being like a defense, like a good defender is like one of the first three things you'd say about any of them. And I think that's just showing up that this, this Swarm game, they have some really explosive games where a lot of guys can hit shots. A lot of guys can kind of get hot. But the defense execution is poor. And I know people going like, they, they will not look at the G League for defense. But 
where that's I can promise you that's what Steve Clifford's looking for. And uh, I mean, I thought Bryce McGowan was actually guilty a few times, especially like in transition. Just took a few plays off last night, um, which was which is disappointing to see. And you don't see him do that in his NBA minutes, and that's something that he's got to play a hundred percent, no matter where he is. Um, but I, I agree that James Booknight, the shooting was definitely a positive. I, I definitely think even. He was four for 11. Uh, at one point, he was one for five, I think, from three, maybe off the first half. But the, the catch and shoot three definitely looks more comfortable and looks to be deeper than it used to be. He used to shoot it right in the line. He's now pretty comfortable, like three, four foot behind the line. Really likes that kind of like left wing. And it, sometimes it does just feel like this possession, yeah, I'm going to shoot it. Like it, it's not always in the flow of the offense. It's like one pass and shoot. Um, but to be fair, he's been shooting a much better ball this year uh, than he did last year in the G League. So I definitely think that is one area of progress that you can point to is, is Buck Knight kind of seems to be improving as that off-ball shooter. Yeah, and this season in uh, the G League regular season, he's at 39.1% from three on 6.9 attempts per game. Yeah. If he can translate that to the NBA in any way, that that becomes like a pretty real weapon for him and would – realistically like would do a lot for his offensive game because when he was coming into the league uh, we knew that shooting might take a little bit but we thought he was going to be a good like off ball scorer like good cutter maybe somebody that can get to the rim a little bit and use that athleticism and explosiveness and if he can pull defenses away and you know make them respect his jump shot a little bit more he'll be able to use those skills more often which we thought were his like marquee skills but I mean obviously that hasn't really gotten to show itself in the NBA yet but Maybe he's he's piecing it together right now. He's he's had a pretty solid stretch here with the swarm, uh, as he's been out of the Hornets rotation. Yeah, you touched on Kai Jones. I, I'm still flummoxed by what Charlotte are doing with Kai and Greensboro, because it's pretty clear that Steve Clifford views him as a power forward. He's gonna get. Well, he's you know he's just been recalled as we record this for, for tonight's game against Miami, and he's he's gonna play backup four now. PJ Washington seems to be out. It seems. But whenever he's in Greensboro, he plays center. But Steve Clifford never seems to look at him at center. So, like, it's so different. Like, playing the wing of the forward positions, moving between the two, there's, like, a little bit of change in the NBA. But going from playing center to playing power forward is a different world. And I do feel bad for Kai. that I, I don't feel like they're putting him in the best situation to always, to kind of easily just translate and move over to playing in Charlotte, going from playing as the, the center of the defense in Greensboro, then over to power forward. I, I wish he just had a little bit more consistency in his own role because like he just needs to find that element of consistency and find ways to be effective in that role. Yeah, it's so hard to like toggle between being the anchor, uh, the rim protector, like the the orchestrator of the defense, really, like the guy that has to talk the most on the back line, call out screens and stuff like that, to being somebody that has to like heed those calls and like pay more attention just to your own guy uh, Chase and, and, screens yeah yeah All it's 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 so much harder than like i think fans would think uh to do that and yeah i i completely agree it's it's not like he does benefit just from playing like it's not that to say like that they're doing him like a disservice necessarily but i don't think that they're putting him in the best developmental situation either i, I think i'd yeah. agree with that I, again, I only saw the first half and he did pick up a scoring in the second half, but I just thought last night the game kind of passed him by a little bit. Like he wasn't massively impactful on either end. He had like a couple of like nice moments, but that's never been a problem for Kai. You know, the moments always look great. 
Uh, but like defensively, he struggled. There was a lot of like tipped around rebounds. Uh, he didn't have any blocks in this game. Like didn't really impact as a rim protector at all. There was a few times where he was like on the back of a offensive player, or, and you thought, oh, like if this is Mark Williams, he's blocking the shot. Even though he's kind of out of position, he's enough in the play. And Kai just doesn't quite have that length, the anticipation, the quick jump to be able to like kind of get those out of position blocks as much. Um, so that, yeah, that is, that is a little bit of a shame. Um, any other thoughts on Kyle? Should we move on to Bryce? Let's go. Let's go on to Bryce McGowan's tough, tough, tough game for your guy. I'm not going to lie. Was. I'm going to give you the it floor was. here, but it was a, this was, if you're still on the book night is better than Bryce club. You, this is probably one of the games that you would use as piece of evidence in court, right? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Definitely print out this box score, save it for safekeeping if you're uh, on the book night over McGowan's train still. Uh, he, he was not efficient scoring. Uh, he didn't make a three. Uh, he didn't really have many mistakes as like a ball handler or a pass or anything, which I thought was fine. I don't. He had zero turnovers, so it wasn't like he was a, a full negative, but definitely was not an efficient offensive player. And as we said earlier, took a couple of plays on defense where the effort or the execution could have been at a much higher level and has been at a, at a higher level, given the fact that he was mm. playing, you know, 15, 20 minutes a game with the Hornets for about a week or two stretch. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Bryce was on a really kind of good run of form before the all-star break, right. Kind of getting minutes with the big club and now Kelly raced back. So it, I mean, I don't know what we're doing here. I, well, I guess I know what we're doing playing Kelly Oubre ahead of Bryce McGowan's, but we should talk about this, right? Because uh, you, everyone thinks, and I still think Bryce McGowan's is going to get converted, but now in a way you could argue that they don't need to convert him because Kelly Oubre will mm -hmm. play all his minutes for the rest of the year. And if you want to bring Kelly Oubre back, which I think this team might want to do, okay? I'm just, if you want to do that, you probably want to play Kelly Oubre here to kind of, reassure him of his role, reassure him of his place as the veteran. If you start like giving Kelly Ray DNPs or perks sitting on the bench at the rotation, that's going to be a lot harder when you're talking about, oh, Kelly, we love you. We want to bring you back next year. So that that could be part of it. But there's also part of it, which is like, let's just let Bryce McGowan's play the backup wing minutes here. Like he was looking good before the break. Do we really want to just send him back down to the G League to finish the season? That seems like a waste to me. Um, where, where do you fall on the McGowan Zubray decision? There was it, did it surprise you? No, it it didn't surprise me at all. But I it, I think it's a really really tough decision to have to make because they they definitely do want to bring Kelly back. Every and he seems like he wants to come back. Yeah, uh, he was telling Rod Boone uh, for, uh, in the Charlotte Observer. Rod came out with an article the other day. Uh, Kelly was like he was like I love this city. Like I have more to give to this team and this city. Uh, and like this is like a part of like my life path, like being here. Like he seems to be like. But that is just really... how Kelly Oubre speaks, Chase. No, I, I, I that that's definitely true. That is... But I I think that he's he's reiterated that a couple of times though that he's like I have like more to give to this team and organization and city and whatnot uh, than he's already given. So it's it like I don't think he said things like that about like Golden State. Um, it maybe he was only in Phoenix for a few months, but. Uh, it, it seems like he like really likes the organization and likes being here, uh, which is not overly common <laughs> among NBA players to really want to stay in Charlotte uh, in recent memory anyway. So you got to take that when you can get it. And as, if you're like both from a fan perspective and the organization, I think so. 
I, I, I definitely see why he's playing. I just think it's unfortunate that it comes at the expense uh, of Bryce McGowan's. I don't, but there's nobody else that it would come at the expense of. Cody Martin's already out. Like, are you going to play Terry Rozier like 12 minutes a game for the rest of the year? So Kelly Oubre and Bryce McGowan's can play. No. Are you going to do that to Gordon Hayward? Uh, who you either a have a, a part as a part of your future plans or B are looking to move him this off season to it for as much as you possibly can. You're not going to bench that guy either. Uh, PJ's out already. Like there's just no, there's nowhere to take minutes from, unfortunately. I mean, maybe one of the reasons Kelly's so happy in Charlotte is because let's be honest in golden state, they want him to play a certain way. You must fit yeah. into this role. You must make these decisions. Part of me does worry the reason he's so happy is because in Charlotte, he can just freestyle and he can, you know, here's one year he takes 11 threes a game coming off the bench. Here's another year where he just starts becoming like a kind of like black hole downhill driver. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe he loves the freedom that Charlotte gives him to kind of be who he is. Um, I, I don't know. I can't be inside the head, but I'm just kind of pontificating here. Hey, but if you're going to um, get the best version of Kelly Oubre, you probably need to let him be Kelly Oubre, you know? So I, I, there's, I think there's a, there could be a pot there. Well, I mean, there are positives to that. We, he's shown it many times. There are negatives too. Uh, it's just how, how often they each happen. And it, we, we still haven't really seen Kelly playing in a role that we like everyone expected him this year. He, the idea was he was going to be the sixth man and he ended up being like the prime scoring option. He was like, like the, the, the team's the lead pick and roll ball handler for like yeah. the first two months of the season. It was nuts. So it will be interesting, like, if you want to say, like, well, what's the point here? Like, this does matter. Steve Clifford is going to have 15, 20 games here to be able to see. And the team will get an idea down the stretch, hopefully, of what is this like minus Cody Martin and maybe P.J. Washington for a amount of time? What does this team look like? You know, how does Kelly Oubre look in that sick man role? Because we need to just know that when we're looking at bringing him back in the summer. So there is meaning to this. I know the classic, just play the young guys and bench all that. It's just not that simple. And we know yeah. Mitch generally looking at trying to bring back some of these vets. So, that, so that's why they're going to get an opportunity here. And there, there's also something to be said that benching Kelly Oubre, Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward, whoever, would just lead to the Hornets being like embarrassingly bad and playing like despicable basketball at times. The Hornets, they don't want to do that to themselves. Nobody wants to watch that type of basketball. How, how, how much do you think Houston Rockets fans are genuinely enjoying the basketball yeah. that they play on a nightly basis. They're not. They're just enjoying it because they have a, two or three young players that the fan base likes. The Hornets have one of those players, which is not as good, but you don't want to put yourself in a position to be horrible on purpose. Like it just, it says a lot about you as an organization if you do that and not in a good way. Um, and it's one thing if like you're, I don't know, if you go on a three game winning streak and you're going to move up the standings by like five spots, that's a right. different conversation because then, but they're so far behind Orlando, unless something they, yeah, they just won crazy three games in a row and then they made no dent in the gap between them. Exactly. So it, it in this stage, it very much seems like it would be, uh, you know, not to worry about that. And the other thing is, you know, who else wouldn't be happy with losing those games and benching all the guys, Lamelo Ball and yep. Lamelo Ball. Pe the same people who sit there and say. The Hornets, Lamella Ball is not going to sign the qualifying. Lamella Ball is going to leave Charlotte as soon as he can. The same people are also the people saying, why is Terry Rozier playing? Why haven't they benched Gordon Hayward? Like, it, it, 
you can't. You can't have both of these things. You, you can't cannot have, exactly. have both. You, you can't. can't have both. Look, if Lamelo is looking at the situation, probably thinking, I think we'd be better if we like we weren't injured this year. But I want to find out for sure. And now he's getting that opportunity, and they seem to have found a, a little bit of form here. Not that I think form in late February, March generally means that much if you look back in the NBA for kind of like lottery bound teams. But it's it's something just to keep in mind. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna shift lanes a little bit now. We we don't ever talk general NBA on this podcast. Like we never. we keep it Hornets focused all the time because that's what you guys listen for. But with it being All Star break and we just had the one game, we we thought we'd speak a little bit, you know, a little bit about some of the contenders. Look forward a little bit at the Eastern Conference. So, Chase, let me ask you this: Who do you think? Who would you have in your list of people who if i told you they won the nba championship you would be like yeah that makes sense like people that wouldn't surprise you who they would win i've i've got my own list here um but let's see let's see if we match up so let, let me go boston you yes have, you, phoenix yes milwaukee yes okay now i think i think those three are yes i completely agree those were the i ripped those three off the top of my head no problem and then i started to struggle Okay, I've actually got quite a lot on the list here because I think it's wide open this year. Golden State. Uh, that would surprise me. If they won, that would surprise me. So I did not wow. have them there. It wouldn't surprise me. I, if they get everyone healthy, the team was shown. Okay, I'm sorry. Philadelphia. That would also surprise me as well if they won the championship. You are a skeptic. I'm, not, I'm right. not a believer in the Sixers at all. You're not. Uh, the Clippers. That... Mm, I, mm, I didn't have them on my list, but I I feel more confident in them than the other two teams that we I've said no to, I think. Denver. There we go. That was the last. I had four teams on my list, and it was Boston, Lots. Denver, Phoenix, and Milwaukee. I don't think I'd be shocked. I mean, obviously, some are more likely to win others. I don't think I'd be shocked if any of those teams won. Like, the the... Toronto Raptors when they won, or the Mavs when they won, like kind of when they broke through. Yes, I think those, those would surprising. all be bigger surprises than any of those teams winning, in my opinion. And we we complain a lot in the times when there are super teams, when there was the Miami team, when the Golden State team. What's the point? You know, we all know where this is going to end up with our Warriors Cavs finals. We should also celebrate the complete parity that there is in the league right now, both at the top of the league. But also, like, even in the play-in area, like, apart from the four teams at the bottom of the NBA, and, like, even, like, Detroit and Charlotte have just been so injured all year, the NBA is so competitive. Anyone can beat anyone. There are a long list of teams who could win the championship. There aren't any of these real super teams anymore. They much just don't exist the same way. It's just not often, especially, like, somebody who follows a lot of British sport, that just doesn't happen. Like in the British sport, there's like three teams that come in the Premier League every year and everyone else is like over 20 to one odds. It's just, we should enjoy this. I, I love that we don't have a clue who's going to win. So many possible storylines. It's like, this might be the pinnacle of the NBA, like in my lifetime anyway. Like, the I know the, parity. Yeah. like it really, like the NBA has never had a better product on a nightly basis in the 26 years that I've been alive than right now, like the, the, every single night there are 
not like not just one but multiple meaningful games on and not just national tv but if you have league pass you can watch the entire league like just tonight like you can watch the the Knicks and the Pelicans, the Nuggets and the Grizzlies, the Celtics and the Sixers. Like there is something to put like stake a claim to every single day right now. And it is like genuinely unseen in like recent NBA history. I know in like the 70s and the 80s, I believe, like the league was super fast paced and high scoring uh, and people were like really into it, like right when the league was like uh, coming about and first getting popular. But like I, 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 not that many people were like have vivid memories of that, and so I would imagine that right now for most NBA fans is the best that the league has ever been, and it's it's awesome. Like that's the only way I, I can put it is it's just awesome to watch like every night. But there's just there's so many fan bases who have championship aspirations, and that's the great thing. Like, and we didn't for- we didn't even mention Memphis or Cleveland no. when when like. The two two teams that have been elite the entire year, like a lot of people just wouldn't even think of them as contenders. And they not maybe not are conventionally, but they are certainly mathematically like these teams are in the top three, four of their conference. Absolutely. And and both for both of those, the reasons I didn't have them on my list was just because they're a touch young. Right. And same with right. New Orleans. I, I put them in that same bracket, like a healthy New Orleans, just a little bit too young, which. I think, yeah, if you told me that they won this year, that they, they would have to like go through, you know, Boston, Milwaukee, and then like one of Phoenix to Denver. I just struggle to see like the level of consistency because when teams are young, there is inconsistency. You can get good matchups, you can win series, but it's very rare that you can run the table through all these different types of teams. Um, but, but absolutely, they will be believing and their fan bases will think, we have a chance, like we're in the game. And yeah, it's just, I can't wait for the playoffs to start this year. I, I don't think there will be, ever be in the future of the NBA more teams that believe they can, they really have a percentage chance to win the championship than this year. I, I just don't see it happening. There will be some recalibration in the next two years, just almost by chance it feels it has to, where some of these teams are going to drop out. Some of these teams are going to consolidate or, or get you know major injuries or some stars are going to meet up. That's that's going to happen. And we're probably going to get back to where there's like three or four true contenders because that's just generally how the NBA seems to go. Yeah. And well, like to put it into perspective right now, if you want to know the state of the NBA, the Sacramento Kings could talk themselves into making a deep playoff run right now. The Sacramento Kings, they're third in the, in the West. Like yeah. last year, they've been an afterthought for literal decades or not decades, but a decade at least they could have in the span of one year could talk themselves into being like, we could make a run to the Western conference finals right now. And like that, that puts it all in the perspective for me. Chase, if you had to pick two final contenders right now, if you had to put money on, who would you be picking? My preseason pick for the finals was Boston and LA Clippers right now. I think I would revise it to Boston and Denver. Uh, but th- it, it's it's tough. Like the West, I think. Like for me, the East uh, contenders, uh, like Boston and Milwaukee, I think are a pretty clear tier above, uh, like Philly or Cleveland or Brooklyn or anybody else uh, that's in the standings behind them. It, it's a little bit closer for the West. Like Denver, Memphis, Phoenix, even the Clippers or Mavs, even though they're a little further down, they obviously have the star power to compete with teams on a nightly basis. 
it's it's not as much separating those two or those teams uh, out there. So it's it's tougher for me to pick a, a West Finals team than in the East. I think. I also have Boston, and it was strange. Right? I, I have Phoenix, and and that feels very knee jerky. And I know a lot of people out there will be like, "Oh, you wouldn't have said that before they traded for Durant." You're like, "You're right, I wouldn't." <laughs> but they tra- but they traded for Durant, so now you can say it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was just trying to think like. Who are you, like, just offensively and defensively, like, the defensive versatility that Durant gives, like, Durant and DeAndre Ayton as a defensive pairing in the front court is just scary. Um, you've now got Devin Booker. You double anyone, any scheme. You've just got just zone busters with Devin Booker, with Kevin Durant. Uh, Chris Paul is going to be able to get guys the ball exactly where they need it. The depth is... An issue, but I like some of the buyout guys. Like even guys like Ish Wainwright have played well at times this year. Not when everyone was injured and Devin Booker was out. I know they were absolutely terrible, but he is going to be back. And they've added Durant uh, and the defensive versatility that he gives them. Uh, I, I know it's probably not cool to say he's probably not that much of a discount from like Mikhail Bridges of defense, Kevin Durant. People don't understand no, how he's good really he is not. defensively. I completely agree. He he's really not that far off from from Mikhail at all. And it's crazy to me that Devin Booker is their second option. Like any team that has Devin Booker, it's like like their hierarchy and like how they're going to beat teams is actually uh, is very similar to Boston. Like you have KD and Devin Booker and then you have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, either of those two guys and could beat you on any night and if both of them are on at once, you have like a 1% chance of winning that game. It's just going to be so hard to outplay two like all NBA level two way players that play both ends of the floor over the course of a four game series or seven game series and beat them four times. Like it's going to be so hard. And then you got Denver with who could have a three time MVP uh, rolling into the playoffs with a healthy Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, borderline all-star like these would these teams have to go through to get to the finals like any, you could probably be like, oh, this is the best, uh, like most difficult finals run of all time. Like no matter who makes it this year, like they're going to have to beat so many good teams to get there. You're going to find this very unpopular. The teams Ooh. I have ahead of Denver, the two I mentioned previously, Milwaukee, Golden State, Philadelphia, and the Clippers. I... Yeah, why, why, why are you down on Denver? What, what, what's, uh, let's unpack this a little bit. I don't love the depth. Um, I, I don't think they, like, trade deadline came and went. They didn't really put any chips in to kind of, I really feel like this is the year that they can win it. Um, I do have some worries about Jokic, like, just having to do so much in the playoffs and on both ends. And if he gets in, like, these other teams, they can suffer an injury, I think, and manage it a little bit better. I just don't think Denver can. And if he is in foul trouble, I think teams are going to go at him in the playoffs. They're going to hunt him. They're going to make him defend. And he's either going to have to like, one, he might get into foul trouble, then he's off the court, or he's going to have to try and like just defend in a way that he can't get into foul trouble. Um, I I just don't love their general all-round talent outside of Jokic compared to the very top tier. The very top tier. They're going to absolutely win. But I think, like, even Philadelphia, like, Joel Embiid, I know it's probably unpopular to say, but I, just because, of, like, the two-way aspect, I think I'd probably have him, like, ahead of Jokic in the 
MVP conversation. And then when you pair like James Harden there, Tyrese Maxey coming off the bench, Tobias Harris, some of the moves that they made, Jalen McDaniels. I, I just think I like Philadelphia's roster a little bit better. And I know they've got the baggage because they've been underperforming year after year after year. And I know Jokic has been incredible in the playoffs, but these things do change. They don't always, always stay the same. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I just think I believe in the multiple star talent in those other teams, just that little bit more, I think, than Denver. I think they're a great regular season team and a good playoff team, but not an outstanding one. That's definitely fair. The thing that worries me the most about them uh, is definitely their defense. Like, I think if you're right that if Jokic has to defend, you almost, not that you can't play uh, like Michael Porter Jr. or Jamal Murray or somebody, like one of their other offensive players at the same time, but you really almost need to surround him with like Bruce Brown, uh, Aaron Gordon, like any defensive-minded player uh, just because I mean Denver, I think they're outside of the top 10 right now in defense. Yeah, they're they're uh, 13th in defense right now. Teams don't really win championships unless you're top 10 in both offense and defense. So that would be a pretty rare occurrence if they if they did make it that far. But I, it's so hard for me to bet against Jokic. I think he's the, the best player in the world right now. Uh, it, it, I would probably, if I had a vote, obviously would I don't, but I would probably vote for him for MVP as well. Uh, he, the way that he can single-handedly like will his team to victory is like, unlike most players in the NBA right now, like even other elite guys, like someone like Steph Curry or LeBron or Kevin Durant, like they don't necessarily affect every single aspect of basketball in the way that Jokic does. So it's, it's hard for me to bet against him because we haven't seen him with a fully healthy supporting cast yet. Um, but I mean, if it doesn't work out this year, obviously that would be much more of a demerit on his, his record than in past years when they've lost, but I, it's, I don't know. It's, it's tough to bet against a back-to-back MVP potential three-time MVP. It is. Okay. Let's, let's change the line a little bit. Let's go NBA draft. Um, I know over the all-star break, we were both probably watching quite a bit of college basketball, a good time of year college basketball, right? You know, we're reaching the end of the conference schedule, conference tournaments around the corner, March Madness, fast approaching. Um, speak to me, who stood out over the All-Star break? Any any particular person, good or bad, just in the Hornets range, in the general draft range, who was kind of the guy that you came away from All-Star break with most notes about? Well, I actually just saw last night, uh, the Overtime Elite League is having their playoffs right now. Uh, Asar Thompson has been playing very well lately. He had 25 points last night. Uh, He shot 45% from the field. I think he had a couple of blocks as well. Uh, The overtime playoffs, I I believe that they're in the semifinals. So if they win this series, the City Reapers, the team that uh, Amanda and Asar Thompson play for, will be in the overtime championship. Uh, His shot looks a lot better. Uh, He was hit a couple off the dribble. He had like a free throw line, like pull up that looked really nice. Uh, he's a, a very good passer in his own right, not the passer that his brother uh, Amen is, but is still a pretty good like connective tissue passer, more so than a, like a lead guard. Great rebounder, defensive playmaker, absurdly good athlete, like floats through the air when he jumps up and goes for dunks and layups and blocks and stuff. Uh, I've I've been very impressed with Asar Thompson, and that's this is someone who's had him like top five like the entire year. Uh, mm. I think he he is like 
firm uh like top four for me right now I, him and I, i'm a massive fan of him and his brother i think is what i'm coming to realize in the last like month or so i'm looking forward to seeing them in the ot playoffs i didn't watch the game last night um but i'm interested to see i'm hoping because like i i, I this is a really good stat i saw the other day in ote 30 percent of the uh possessions are in transition whereas in like an nba game it's about 15 percent <laughs> So you're talking, and, and those guys excel in transition now. Are their teams, do they excel in transition because Asar and Amen are on the team? But the whole AT, OT league is a little bit like that. I'm interested to see in the playoffs if it does slow down and they're playing against some of the better teams. They're more locked into that kind of playoff style where you're playing multiple legs. You know the other team's actions really well. I'm interested to see how they, how they progress here because they should win that league, that championship. It, they are the most talented team by far. Um, yeah, that's that's going to be really interesting to me. How how see how they play in kind of like the high stakes games if it slows down a little bit. Um, I, I'm going to sing one out who I thought was really unimpressive, and this is a guy that I've kind of been I've not watched as much film until later in the year because he was injured at the start of the year, kind of came in, was then like playing a bit of a funny role, and I thought I I don't want to watch this guy when he's just coming back from injury. I don't want to get a, a kind of a false impression. And that's Cam Whitmore uh, for Villanova. And I watched two games over the All-Star break. And I have to say, I do not see it. I really don't. Hmm. There, is some, there are some great, I'm sure there's some great dunks when there is no one standing in front of him and he has a, he's explosive and he jumps to the rim and he's a, like a powerful dunker, which is, which is really cool. But I don't think he's particularly quick. I don't think he's got particularly great size or length. Um, his strength is probably like his biggest thing inside. Um, but he is terrible fouling. I mean, his on-ball defense is atrocious, gets in all sorts of foul trouble, blown by on the perimeter all the time. And it's just his defensive technique and awareness is really bad. And he doesn't know where to fit into an offense. Like when the ball is getting rotated, he just kind of stands there and like moves towards the ball and waits to be past it. Um his shot selection, there are some really weird decisions, three ball attempts. I had some really bad misses, some air balls, and like his off ball awareness and defense is poor. I, just generally, I, I didn't really see like early in the year, he was getting like top five buzz. Um, and I know he had, I think, a good summer with USA and he shot the ball really well there. Uh, but from what I've seen in those those two full games, I've seen a bunch of highlights, but it's, it's hard. You're going to take so much for highlights. From the two full games I saw, he just looked a bit like a bigger James Buck Knight <laughs> in terms of if you look at all the flashes, he looks great. But if you actually watch the full game, um, there's a lot of real issues there. And I just don't feel he's got the handle a lot of the time. In one game, he had seams and he picked up his dribble three times and just picked it up out of panic because the defender was kind of influencing him, forcing him to be uncomfortable. And he picked it up three times. And that was when he had like space to attack. Um, Cam Whitmore, I don't know where, I've not done my board yet, but I think he will have a hard time factoring into my lottery. And I know generally wow. he's viewed as like a top 10 lot guy, but I, I honestly, I think the feel for the game is, is not even average for a college player. Wow. All right. So I am clearly 
the resident Cam Whitmore enjoyer on this podcast. I currently have him in the top five. Oh, I here have, we go. This is I have we need more loved, like this. I know, I know. We re- we do. It's been a while. I, I have loved Cam Whitmore this season. I the thing that I agree with there is definitely the handle. He's not a good ball handler right now. Uh, and it's unfortunate because if he was, I think he would be like a no question, like top five, top seven prospect in this class. Because right now, I think as his his strength is leveraging his strength uh, as like a shot creator to like create space uh, and be able to get his shot off like quickly and efficiently because he can really load up on his legs uh, and use the like quick movements to create space at a much greater rate than a lot of other players can. Not a great like efficient shooter yet, but the mechanics look really good. Uh, I think he's I think he's at like 30, 32.6% on 4.23s a game this year. Very pedestrian. Uh, he's a really good rebounder. Uh, and the other uh, thing that I really, really like about is him, he, is it, I, I think on. so. I, I need to get the rebounds. I, I'm pretty, again, he averages the, like five, a, uh, five a game, I believe, uh, is his, are his numbers. For someone so he, that he, strong he, and big, for me, like, he but should Vill, be Villanova plays two players physical. that are bigger than him though, is the, is the thing. So he's playing the three, uh, with Villanova, like Eric so Dixon. That's, that's one of the things that stuck out to me was the ball went up and he was standing there. He did. He didn't box out anyone. He didn't attack the glass to get the rebound. Like you see, some of these other guys, they are like chasing rebounds. They're fighting to get them, and that was something that that I'd made one of my notes is that he just kind of, if the ball came near him, great, he'd rebound the ball. But he he didn't make any effort to read the ball off the rim. Didn't put a body on anyone. Uh, now like I say maybe that's because in his in the scheme, his job is to get out and run and not to rebound. But for someone of his build, he should be a good rebounder. His rebounding rate is pretty high. Uh, I think it's like 19.6 right now, which is at least reasonable uh, for a player of his size playing like more of a wing role, I guess. But uh, I actually, I do think his, uh, my biggest point of disagreement, I think is his defense. I actually think he's like, not like a great defender, but he in flashes has been really good because like he's super strong. He's not very easy to move off of his spot. Uh, you're not really going to like blow by him super often necessarily, unless it's in like a lot of space. Uh, and it's like a situation where he doesn't know he's like out on an Island by himself and doesn't recover quite as strongly as he might need to in that situation. But I think he's had a lot of nice flashes as like a point of attack defender. He gets over screens pretty well. That's not really like, which is a not necessarily a problem physically for a lot of younger players, but I think a lot of younger players don't have like the, technique for like fighting through screens and like getting really skinny and like getting between uh the screener and the ball handler and stuff to stay attached but uh, i i've been maybe not impressed with his defense but definitely like somewhat pleased uh so far his steal rate is pretty high uh for for on bart torvik right now uh which is not i mean i'm, I'm just pulling that out of my ass because i see the green uh highlight label on it right now is not something i researched myself but yeah, I, I'm I'm clearly the the Cam Whitmore guy. Uh, you clearly are because because uh, I have I have him top five, and I don't think there's that much that people below him could do to get above him. Honestly, I, I, and I don't know if there's that much that he can do to convince me that he's like a top fifteen guy. I, we'll see. I've not done my rankings yet. Um, I'd say the biggest the biggest argument for me. To like of what what could I be wrong here is I think Villanova use him in just terrible ways. I, that I, I can I, agree with. I can agree with that. Just like put him in no position to succeed at all. He 
basically just catches the ball against a set defense and gets asked to do stuff the whole time. And like you say, he doesn't have the handle to do that right now. Um, so that's like my biggest reason. Like if he was playing in Kansas, right, and he's surrounded by cerebral, intelligent players, I think he could look a ton, ton better. Um, so that that's my biggest thing with with Cam Whitmore. Um, let's let's finish the pod and Brandon Miller. Um, we we don't need to rehash everything that's happened. If unless you've been living under a rock, you probably know the story about um, how he has not been charged, even though he appears to have driven a car with a gun in it. Whether he knew it was in there, it appears that he did not. Um, but you can Google the story if you need to. But Brandon Miller, top probably four, five consensus prospect. Let's just keep this simple. Is what happened over the last week affected your ranking of Brandon Miller? Not what you think of him, but your ranking on your draft board. No, it has not. And I would be very, very surprised if it affected where NBA teams or scouts or whoever had him as well. I, I know you aren't either, but I'm not here to litigate the whole actual situation of it, right yeah. or wrong whatever clearly a massive gray area here that the general public like doesn't know what went on only lawyers and police know what went on uh so people don't need to like speculate on that end but the draft stock end of it i i don't i don't i really don't think it's going to affect him very much at all like i it's and because a lot of it isn't on him like the backlash is about him not being suspended which is on which is nate oats like the alabama head coach decides that not Brandon Miller or Brandon Miller's agent or whoever. So I, I'd be surprised if it comes out like after the fact, like the draft or something, if he goes 12th and it's like, oh, it's because of what happened uh, while he was at Alabama. Uh, I, I'd be I'd be surprised to hear that. What about you? Do you think there's an argument after everything that happened that week, he then goes to South Carolina, scores 40 plus points in an mm -hmm. overtime win, including... And those, those fans were on yeah. him. They Absolutely. were hound hostile. like hostile. One of the Very probably the, the toughest environments on the big like on the biggest stage with everyone watching. Everything the conversation has just been about you all week. The, uh, other fans are against you. He goes in and lands for I think forty one points, including yeah. the game winner and game tying shots. I think there's an argument to say this last week has boosted his draft stock. Has actually gone the other way, which I know people. I'm not talking about morally right or wrong. I'm talking about for NBA teams. They're watching this, going, "This guy went into a hostile environment. He's had all this stuff off court that could, you know, hundred reasons to have a bad game to be distracted, and he had his best career game. He shows serious." mental strength and resilience. And I mm -hmm. think that's something that will resonate with teams. Absolutely. Teams are going to look at that and be like, he can compartmentalize. Like he can put things aside and just look at what's in front of him, put his head down and play. And that's exactly what he did. That was a, that was a really, really good game, by the way. Uh, I'm, the consensus is very wide ranging, uh, but I don't know if you're a fan of Gigi Jackson as well. He had some crazy shot making in the first half of that game. Not as not as great in the second, but uh, that was it was quite a battle for with him and Brandon Miller in the first 20 minutes of that game. So that was a very, very fun game to watch. If anybody wants to like go back and watch a Brandon Miller game, the South Carolina is definitely at the top of the list. Um. Let's just finish up with this one because I think both of our connections are going terrible. I'm hoping this audio comes out okay. Um, 
Where do you have Brandon Miller ranked right now? I have him number six, right right behind uh, Cam Whitmore. My top six right now is Wemby, Scoot, Amen Thompson, Asore Thompson, Cam Whitmore, Brandon Miller. What is your wow. uh, ranking right now? I have, I have Brandon Miller number three. Um, and honestly, at this, at this stage, he is a step above uh, any... I, I don't know if he'll ever move for three for me. In fact, he's probably edging closer towards like maybe scoot territory than being Ooh. closer to the guy like who I've got fourth. Um, I I am a big, big Brandon Miller fan chase. Uh, I would be thrilled if Charlotte were to end up with Brandon Miller. If they landed third pick, fourth pick and got Brandon Miller, I would be absolutely ecstatic. I think he would be a great fit and I think he's got incredible NBA potential. If, if any team took Cam Whitmore over Brandon Miller, I think I would have a heart attack. Yeah, that is how you would do it. Which oh, just, absolutely. This would make for an interesting draft season. So it'd be it'd be good to talk about this more once the season's done. Yeah, I'm super excited to get into the the draft talk here. This class, I've noticed people online lately being like, "Oh, it's not as good as everyone says it is. This class isn't that deep. It's just the top four. Shut up. Yes, it is. Like, shut up. That's not that's not true at all. There are like. 25 lottery talents in this in this draft class like it's ridiculous how many good like first round prospects there are if you want to be like oh it falls off at 45 yeah so does every nba draft it's the middle of the second round uh it's 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 i've seen like way too many takes like that lately I'm, I, it's it's just like starting to boggle my mind a little bit this is like the uh like i don't know what the the term for it is but it's like when you're exposed to something for so long you just like stop appreciating it and like not realizing like how good it is and all the positive aspects of it. But I, we've just been watching these players for too long. If we can't be like, this is a good draft class or the deepest class and however long or whatever, there are so many good players that the Hornets could end up with at the top of the draft in the middle of the draft at 29 with that nuggets pick uh, the 34th pick that they got from Philly and the Jalen McDaniels trade there. There are, we got a lot of people to talk about here in the next couple of months, James. We do. And I'm, I'm already looking forward to convincing you that Brandon Miller's a better prospect than Cam Whitmore. That, that, that's going to take me one podcast. We might, draft we might, we might be that. here a while. Yeah. We might need to dedicate. No, like a that's, whole, a whole Chris, hour to Chase, that. that's not going to take me long. That's not going to take me long. All right. Okay. All right. Let's get out of here. This has already been a long episode. Uh, folks, if you've, if you listened all the way to the end here, we appreciate you. Please, if you've listened to all of that, you must like us. So please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, go check out our work on allhornets.com. And we will speak to you next time. Thanks for listening, everybody.